Good morning, church. How we doing? Oh, man, I hope you guys are half as excited to be here as I am, man. I'm, I'm really excited um, about what I believe God is doing in and through our church. Um, and man, just every week we get to hear stories about what God is doing and how he's impacting lives and how like, just, just being part of this, of this family of faith is impacting lives. And so, man, I'm, I'm so, so grateful uh, to be one of your pastors and to have the opportunity to, to get up here a lot of weeks and uh, just open God's word and, and share with you. Um, uh, we've, we've been kind of hinting around and, and, and really kind of pushing you guys about something that we've got coming up in October. And I want to take just a, a minute or so right here at the, at the onset of, of my time to get up here and speak to tell you how desperately bad I want you to be here on October the 4th. I, I absolutely, I believe this. Like, this isn't preacher, like, sell you on the church talk. This is, like, this is real talk, all right? You got to be here. You have to be here on October the 4th. This is going to be one of those days, trust me, that, that, that five, six years from now, there's going to be a lot of people in our church that look back to October the 4th and say, that was the day that I just took Pastor Brian and Pastor Jonah and Pastor Quentin's word for it, and I made plans to be there. And that day, October the 4th, 2015, that what I heard, what I saw, and how I responded has forever changed my life. Like, that's going to be the story for a lot of you October the 4th. And if you don't believe me, show up and then tell me I was wrong. All right, let's just, just, just take my word for it and be here October the 4th. People are going to be talking about what happens on October the 4th. And if you weren't here, like, you, you've ever been in one of those conversations where, like, everybody else is all excited about something they saw or experienced, and you were like, yeah, I, I, bet, that was, I bet that was awesome. And you can't really get in the conversation because they were there and you weren't. It's one of those you just had to be there kind of moments. That's going to be October the 4th. Like, just trust me. I ain't going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to tell you to be here. So please make plans to be here with us October the 4th, just a few weeks from now. Now, I said that last week and I also said this last week. That's exciting and I'm, and I'm really excited about that. But I don't want to look so forward to that that we look past Today, because I got something really cool for what I believe uh, God wants to share through me to you today, and, and I want to set it up by saying this. My wife is always cold. Always. It could be 97 degrees outside, and we're running the heat in the house, and she'll go get a blanket. My daughters are following, my daughters wore a jacket to church last week, y'all. It was 87 degrees. They rolled up in here in jackets last week because that's, this is how they are. Now, what I'm finding is that more often than not, and I know there's exceptions to every rule, most women are typically colder natured than most men. Y'all are always cold. Now, I, I got to spend a week, um, a couple weeks ago up at, at Liberty. I took a, a college course in intensive up there. I was there for a week, and I had a hotel room. I kept the thermostat at 67 because that's how I roll. Like, I, like 67, and, and lower than that at night with like 15 blankets. Because I love the weight, but I'm really hot natured, that kind of thing. I don't know if y'all can identify with that. Now, now, now me, as, as you can already guess, I'm kind of hot natured. Like, I, I stay warm pretty much all the time. I, I, like, because I made the commitment um, about 14 years ago to live with my wife forever, I spend most of my time in our house shirtless. 
All right, so if you drop by unexpected, you, that's how I'm answering the door. Like, just know that if you come to the Duncan house, you're going to have to see Pastor Brown without a shirt on. That's just how I roll because I'm, I'm hot-natured. Now, on, on the flip side of things, I work with two other dudes, also hot-natured. So the Fusion City Church office, kind of like a meat locker. That's how we, like, there are days that me, Mr. Hot-natured, I have to go and turn the thermostat up a little bit because I'm too cold. Like, that's how we keep it, and I like that. That's a, that's a good environment. So if you stop by the church office and you are cold-natured, bring a jacket. All right, that's just, how it is. that's just how it is. Now, if I were to poll the room right now, if I were to go around and you know, show of hands or whatever, we won't do all that, I'm guessing that some of you are probably comfortable. Like, this is a like, pretty good temperature. Like, this is good for you. Um, some of you right, are fanning. Right? I see you. Like, you got, like the, you got the fan thing going on. I feel you. I'm under the lights. It's worse up here, I promise. Some of you right now are cold. Who's right? Who, who's right? Is our room too cold? Is it just right? Or is it too warm? Who, who's right? You're right. Regardless of where you fall in the spectrum, you're right. Right? And I'm right. We're all right. But some of us disagree with what somebody else would deem as right. You see, how we feel about hot or cold, it's relative. It's all relative to the individual. You can't help it. You can't help how you feel. You can't help if you feel too hot or too cold. You can't change it. You can't just make a decision in this moment to no longer be cold or no longer be hot. You can't. You can't help how you feel. The problem is that for a lot of us, we have set how we feel about things as the highest possible standard for our life. That if I feel it and I feel strongly enough about it, I just can't be wrong and you're wrong you can be but the reason that 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 our culture and it's really pervasive in our culture right now for for people to set their standard their preference how they feel as the highest standard of anything else that's why when when we have a, a difficult decision and not just related to hot or cold but just in all facets now, that's why that when you and I are faced with a difficult decision, especially something pertaining morality and how we feel about a particular, you know, area of life as it pertains to, is that, you know, in the church we would call it, is it sinful? Is it, is it okay? Is God against that? Is God for that? If, you know, we, or just in kind of any difficult decision at all, we'll say things like this. Well, I'm just going to have to go with my gut on this one. And if you ask somebody else, they'll tell you that the only way that you can ever feel really good about a decision and the only way that you can ever be sure that you're making the right decision is if you just follow your heart. Let your conscience be your guide. If you feel right about it, who can tell you you're wrong? Right? Anybody ever heard that? Just follow your heart? Show of hands. Come on, put them up. Let's get some consensus in the room. All right, 
that, it should have been everybody because we've all heard it and some of y'all just aren't participating and Jesus saw you. I'm just telling you, like Jesus knows. This is church, it's like we, we interact here. All right, so all of us have heard, just follow your heart. Just let your conscience be your guide. Anybody's heart ever lied to them? Let's see, let's show our hands again, right? Okay, good, again, that's the majority of us. My heart's lied to me. Anybody ever been in love? Somebody that isn't your spouse? <laughs> I mean, some of y'all are divorced and remarried, so I know what happened at least twice. Like it's, anybody ever stayed in a relationship longer than you should have? Right? Anybody ever felt so strongly that you were right. You were in a conflict with somebody else and you would have you bet your paycheck, your next five paychecks and both your kids that you were right only to find out you were wrong. Right? We've all been there. Your heart has lied to you. Hadn't it? Sure it has. What's interesting is when we look in the pages of Scripture, we find out a secret about our heart that a lot of us probably didn't know, especially if you buy into the mentality or you've ever told somebody, you've ever believed somebody that told you that you should just follow your heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. I memorized this verse a few years ago, and I, I repeat it all the time. Just about every time I hear somebody say, I just got to follow my heart. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. How many things is the heart more deceitful than? All things. The heart is more deceitful than any other thing that exists. How are you feeling about your heart? All right. The heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can really know how bad it really is? How you feeling about that just follow your heart thing? Like, I don't even, we can just pray and go home. Like, I'm done. The Bible says your heart is deceitful and wicked more than any other thing that exists. How can you even know how bad it is? Yet there have been times in each of our lives that we felt so strongly about something. We knew we were right. No advice, no intervention, no let me share a verse with you, brother, could change our minds. Because at some point and on some level, all of us have bought into the mentality that if I feel strongly enough about it, there's no way I can be wrong. And you're wrong. Because the heart is deceitful and wicked more than any other thing. Can we even really know how bad it is? People who are blinded by 
how strongly they feel about something. If, if I'm just being honest, these are my least favorite people to counsel with. And I have the opportunity, and, and, you know, a lot of weeks for people to come in and they'll, they'll want to get some advice and they want to speak to one of the pastors. Well, I'm sorry, let me back up. They say they want advice. What they want is affirmation that what they feel is right. Because it doesn't matter how many verses of scripture we look at or how much advice I give or how wrong I tell them they are and show them how many different reasons they're wrong and how many different verses show them that they're wrong and how wrong they really are. They don't want to hear that they're wrong. They want to hear that what they feel is right. Because they've bought into this mentality that my heart can't lie to me. I mean, after all, wasn't it God that gave me the conscience that I have? And if, it's, if my conscience is clear and I feel good enough about this and I, I just know that I know that I know that this is the right step, how could it really be wrong? Let me tell you how it could be wrong. Because the heart is the most deceitful of all things and is desperately wicked. Luckily, most times when people come into the office or when they want to have coffee, we have the opportunity to, to kind of speak some wisdom to them. They, they do want advice, and they, they do. But, but I've had the occasion often enough where people are really blinded by how they feel. I've had that occasion en enough to adopt a phrase that I use in response to when they say, yeah, but I just feel like it's the right thing to do. Here, here's the phrase. As a matter of fact, if you want to write it down, you can use this too the next time somebody tells you to just follow your heart. You can't help how you feel. But how you feel isn't always right. You can't help how you feel. You can't help if you're hot. You can't help if you're cold. You can't help any of that stuff. You can't help how you feel. But how you feel is not always Right. A good friend of mine on Facebook this week posted a, a, a quote, and it was, it was original. He's a really smart guy. But he said this, you can choose what you believe. You get to choose what you believe. You don't get to choose what's true. And just because you believe it <laughs> doesn't make it the truth. Many of us have either been taught or we've come to believe that our conscience is this, this God-given internal indicator of right and wrong. That that's why God put it there. So when faced with a moral dilemma, when faced with a difficult decision, if I'll just turn to my conscience and if I have a peace about whatever it is that I'm trying to decide, then it must be okay Otherwise, my conscience would go nuts and I would know that I shouldn't. Problem is, to just follow your heart or to just let your conscience be your guide is to trust a source that is relative, just like your preference of hot or cold. Maybe hot or cold isn't the, isn't the best analogy. Let me give you another example. How fast should you drive? Just at the speed limit. I mean, it is a limit, so maybe we should be a little under. Maybe just a little bit over. Or maybe as fast as I can go without getting caught. <laughs> Put your hands down. This is church and cops, cops go to church here. All right, just, I, I can tell you who to watch leaving the parking lot today, fellas. 
how fast should you drive? Let me tell you what, what's true for me. And I won't tell you how fast I drive. But I will tell you this. How fast you should drive is exactly how fast I drive. Anybody that drives slower than me needs to get the heck out of the way because I got somewhere to get. Anybody that drives faster than me is a maniac and should be locked up and thrown in jail. Because the only speed that is perfect on the road is my speed. And I'm betting that the same is true for you. Doesn't matter how fast you drive, if anybody's driving faster, they're an idiot. Why? Because how fast you should drive is relative. I'd also be willing to bet that how fast you drive now is not how fast you've always driven. Especially if you got kids now and you didn't have kids. I lost my license when I was 19 years old for speeding tickets. Now I got two kids. We're late occasionally, and I'll push the limit a little. But I don't drive nearly as recklessly now as I'm a parent as I did when I didn't have kids. Let me tell you another time that I'll also slow down. When I see a police officer. (laughs) Here's what that means. Listen, listen, listen. Just follow me with this because you got to see it. My preference How fast I should drive. How I feel about speeding and driving has changed. It's different now than it was then. And it changes based on the circumstances in which I find myself. If I'm in front of a police officer, I do the speed limit. If my kids are in the car, I drive slower. My preferences, what I feel has changed. You want to know why it can change? Because it's relative. It's, it's movable. It's moldable, moldable. It's fluid. It changes with circumstance and age and maturity. And it's just another example of the relative nature of how we feel. You see, our conscience, our heart, how we feel about things is tuned to our own personal standards. Which means this, if you want to write this down. Our conscience can never tell us when we violate God's standards. Our conscience can only tell us when we violate our own. That's good stuff. You can tweet that. That's good. Our conscience doesn't tell us when we violate God's standards. It only tells us when we violate our standards. You agree with that? Do you hear it like this? Because I made a pretty compelling argument for that, I do believe. Now, let me tell you what you just mentally agreed to. You, you track, track with this, okay? If I live by the just follow your heart mentality, and I set my standards and my conscience and my heart as the, the, the top standard in my life, and for a lot of us that even supersedes the standards of, of God's standards, and we'll get to that in a minute. But if I live by the just follow my heart, I have set the highest source of standard in my life as, as the authority that changes with situation 
and circumstance, and I have trusted something that God's own word tells me is deceitful and wicked above all things, so bad that nobody can even know how bad it is. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want my heart, my conscience, and my standards to be the top source of authority in my life, and here's why. Because it changes. I don't even know what my conscience wants. I don't know how my conscience will change from today to tomorrow. I might have an interaction with somebody today that changes the whole way I think about them or to think about life or to think about anything. My, my conscience, my heart is moldable, shapeable. It's fluid. It changes with culture and maturity and age and circumstances and situations and things that I read and people that I interact with and those that I call closest to me. My conscience and my heart it changes. So why in the world do I want a standard that's always moving? Like, have you ever tried to hit a moving target with, like, a bow and arrow or a gun? It's really hard. The good news is that that doesn't have to be how it is. We can can find a better standard than our own heart. There's a a verse in Scripture that kind of served as as an aha moment for me as it relates to my conscience and how I feel. And it was written by the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles and you want to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and looking at verses 3 and 4. And this is Paul. We'll talk a little bit about Paul in a minute. Paul says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. And I just so you kind of catch you up on what Paul is, has come under some criticism by the religious leaders of his day and some people that are trying to tell him that, that what he's doing just ain't right. So he's responding to them in this letter, and he says, I don't really care what you think or any other human authority. And then he says this, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. Verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove that I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. And that kind of wrecked me a little bit because I admire Paul. Paul's one of the heroes of the faith. This is the man who received divine interaction with God. Like, di- divide, like divine interaction with, with like Jesus showed up and spoke to Paul. Paul was able to miraculously heal other people through the power of God. Paul was the man who knew the mind of God well enough to write the word of God. Yet for Paul, you know, author of more than almost half of the New Testament, that Paul, his clear conscience wasn't enough for him. And if a clear conscience wasn't enough for Paul, it better not be good enough for me, I mean, after all, if there was anybody that, that could say my clear conscience is pretty accurate, it was Paul. But Paul says, no, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. The only thing that I trust is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Yet there's so many of us that all I need to do is feel good about a decision to be able to make it. 
You know what makes me feel good about decisions? It's when other people agree with me. If I can find some other people that feel the same way I feel, there's, there's safety in numbers. I, I, feel, I feel secure in knowing that I'm not the only one that thinks this way. You know, big, big time, big problem with that. You can always find somebody who agrees with you. Matter of fact, there's probably a Facebook group dedicated to how you feel about a particular issue, whether it be moral, political, or any other, spiritual, any other thing. There is somebody out there who feels just like you feel and will validate your conscience so that you can feel good about doing what it is that you feel so strongly about. Problem is that a majority doesn't equal morality. And just because the majority feels that way doesn't mean that it's right. As a matter of fact, I think I could probably make a pretty good biblical argument that if you always wanted to do what is right, you could take an opinion poll of however many people you have access to, tally the results, whatever the majority says to do, you do the exact opposite. There's something, something about like a wide path that leads to destruction and a narrow path that leads to eternity. Something about that. Like I think there's, it's in there somewhere. That following the majority can often in, end you up in a place where you don't want to be. This idea of, of being able to, to garner support and, hey, everybody believes this way, kind of leads me to the, to the, last, the last issue with, with letting our conscience be our God or just following our heart. And here it is. Your heart can be calloused. You can become so ingrained in a sinful thought or sinful action, and you can see so many people saying it or or hear so many people saying it and see so many people doing it. I mean, this is just the way that, this is just the way life is. And I'm sure God understands if he doesn't even outright approve. And I'd be willing to bet that you and I all know somebody that they've been so involved with the wrong way of thinking for so long. And they've got so many friends who think the same way and do the same things and believe the same things that, hey, this is just the way life is. We we did a whole series about this uh, last year called Necessary Sins. If you guys remember, we talked in that series about how these are things that are just, yeah, they're sins, but that's a great way for you to, to, to identify a calloused heart in somebody else or even in your own life. If you hear yourself saying, I know what the Bible says, but if you know what the Bible says, that's what you should do and that's what you should believe. And if you ever find yourself or if you ever hear somebody else say, I know what the Bible says, but here's why my situation makes it whatever. You're in dangerous territory. So uh, those are kind of all the things that a conscience is, is not or, or things that we shouldn't trust our conscience for or all the ways that our conscience can, can lead us astray and, and lead us into, into some foul territory where we don't want to be. And let me tell you what the conscience is. Our conscience, our, our heart, that, that inside knower thing that we got going on. It's, it's a warning system. 
It's, it's there. God put your conscience there to warn you from things that you shouldn't do. The problem is we tend to, to put the equation together that if I shouldn't do those things, then my conscience is telling me that I should do some other things. And that's bad, that's bad theology. That's bad thinking about your conscience because your heart can be swayed. And it does a much better job at protecting you for things that you should not do than it does giving you permission for things that you should do. I, I, I like to say it like this. If you want to write this down, you can too. Uh, your conscience makes a great yellow and red light, but it makes a terrible green light. You tracking with that? Like people want to know, well, if, why do I even have this conscience? What good does it serve? Here's the good that it serves. It can keep you out of some trouble that you need to stay away from, and your conscience will send off alarms, and bad things will start to, to go off in your mind and tell you, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. It's great for that. It is not good when I just have a peace about something, I'll go and do it. What did Paul say? Paul said, I have a clear conscience. I have a peace about this. But that's not good enough. If it wasn't good enough for him, it shouldn't be good enough for us. You see, when faced with a, a difficult decision or, or especially a, a, a decision concerning morality or, or what is and isn't sin, we need to consult with a standard that's higher than how we feel. And the only standard that never changes and that's always perfect is God's. Which, which leads me inevitably to this question that I get asked all the time, all the time. And I, I love the question because now I've got a pretty systematic answer for it. I've been asked so many times. Pastor Brian, how do I know what God wants? Or, or Pastor Brian, how, do I, how can I hear God speak? There's three ways. There are three definite ways. Number one, God speaks through his word. The Bible says about itself that it's, that it's living and active. Here's what that means. That means I can read the same passage today that I read three days ago, and it will speak to me differently today than it did three days ago because it, ch it changes how I perceive it. It doesn't change. I read the same words, but how God speaks through that passage changes day to day. That's how I know that it's living, it's active. It doesn't change, but it changes. It doesn't change I change. So you can hear God speak through his word. The second way you can hear God speak when you pray. I fully believe as I approach prayer that prayer is not just me talking to God. But I believe that God wants to talk to us also. So after I, before I kind of say amen and kind of close out the prayer and finish it out, I spend a few minutes in silence listening. And I like to date... God has never, like, shown up in my bedroom, like, Bang. like, never happened. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. I'm still waiting and hopeful that maybe one day it will. Because sometimes I feel like <laughs> he needs to do that to get my attention. I don't, I don't listen all that well sometimes. But, but I do hear him. I hear him. And I know and I feel a prompting through, through my prayer of how God is leading. And the third way. And I think this may be even the most powerful way is God speaks to me through other believers. The people that I have in my life 
speaking wisdom that I can confide in, that, that, that give me accountability, that, that tell me when I'm doing something stupid, that, that applaud me when I'm doing something right or give me affirmation for something good that I did. Like those, that, that, that's how I know because I trust that they're in fellowship with God and then speaking to me on his behalf. So God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through prayer and God speaks to us through other godly people. Now, if there was only a way that I could find a perfect cross section of reading God's word, being in prayer, and being around other believers, if there was only a way, there was only a place, maybe like somewhere during the week, like on a weeknight, where there were other people already getting together in a place, like to share a meal and to open the Bible and to pray together, and then I'd be around other believers. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there's something. Maybe y'all can help me out. I don't know. Was that, was that like cryptic enough, but like forward enough for you to get, though I need to write it out for you? Connect groups. And you got to be in them. That's right. We can clap for connect groups. Because if you want to know how to know God's standard, you got to read your Bible. You got to pray. You got to be around other believers. We've created opportunities every night of the week for you to be able to do that. I can't make you do it. And you are more than welcome to keep following your standard and listening to you. But here's what I know about you. Your heart is deceitful more than any other thing and desperately wicked. Who can know how bad it really is? If you want to trust that, that's up to you. But listen to your pastor. Get in a connect group. Find a place to connect. Find a place where you can meet with other believers and be strengthened by your relationship with them, where you can read the Bible together and where you can pray. You, that's, that's not an option for me. It's a necessity for me because that's how I want to live my life according to his standards and not my own. Would you bow and pray with me, please? As we bow before I pray, just let me ask you just a few questions. Maybe there's, there's something in this as we pray together that, that you need to, to, to do some work with God on right now. Let me ask you this. What's, what's the source of decision-making in your life? What do you lean on? What do you look to? What do you trust? What standard are you living by or living up to? Is there somebody in your life right now, maybe a group of people that you trust enough to point out the areas in your life that your heart has become calloused? Here's what I know about a calloused heart. That's a blind spot in your life. You can't see it. Somebody else can. Who do you trust enough to tell you the truth about some concessions that they're seeing you make because of your calloused heart. And as you ponder those questions, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. 
Father, this morning, it is the, the prayer of my heart. It is the hope of my life. That, Father, every person right now under the sound of my voice, God would have the boldness to give you permission to make changes in their life. God, sometimes I believe that you're just right there and you want us to see life a different way and you want us to respond in a fashion in which we've never responded before. But God, it takes, it takes the, the permission of the believer to say, God, that part of my life that has previously been off limits to you, God, I open it up. I give it to you, God, because I trust your standards above my own. God, who's greater than you? Why in the world would I want to live by my own way of thinking when, God, I have a standard in you that is so much better than anything I could come up with? So, God, right now, I submit. I give it over. God, I give you control. And I thank you that I can do that with a confident heart, knowing, not feeling, knowing, God, that you love me and that you'll never lead me astray. Father, thank you for that assurance and for that confidence that we can have in you. And we know it because we know you through your son. It's in his name I pray, amen and amen.